Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. In this episode, we interview the designers of the five finalists in the 2019 Board Game Workshop Design Contest. So, enjoy the show. I'm here with Brant Brinkerhoff, designer of Pangea, one of the finalists in the contest, and Dustin Dowdle is also joining us for this interview. So, Dustin and Brant, welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be here. Hi there. So, let's start with Brant. What got you into board game design? Uh, well, when I, well, I've always been a big enthusiast of board games, um, and I, when I moved from Chicago to Utah, I ended up living across the street from a guy who was very passionate about board game design. So uh, we spent many late nights talking, um, coming up with ideas, uh, refining some of his ideas. And so it kind of just started, a, started an interest that has carried on. Is this, your, this isn't your first design, right? So you've been doing this for a bit? Uh, so this is the first game that I have designed from the inception through where it is today. Um, I've helped out in, in other game designs that have been um, in process and weighing in and taking some things and refining some things, but this is the first one that I've taken on myself. So what, what gave you the idea for it and what, I mean, since it's your first full design, what, what was the push to actually do it all on your own this time? Yeah, so uh, it all started with uh, this neighbor of mine, his name is Charles Allen. Um, one day he came over and we were talking. He, he actually had this idea of this idea of an infinite board where things can move off and back on, and um, tiles and, and things that were moving based on continental shifting. And um, and as as he was talking through this idea, I was like, Oh yes, 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 yes. This is great. So he said, If you can make this into a game, if you can do something with it, take it. So I kind of started, that was the spark that started it and started putting my head down, working through it um, and went through many, many different ideas of how to make those mechanics or like the, the heart of those mechanics become something that was, you know, a game that could actually be played <laughs> and it was fun to play. Uh, but that's where it all started. So as I'm probably going to mention on every single one of these interviews, I don't read all of the feedback because there's a lot of it, but I do check in every once in a while and see what people are saying. And I know one of the bits of feedback you got a couple of times was some people did not think the theme really fit or there was a disconnect or it was just pasted on. And I know you did make some changes between round one and round two, trying to tighten up the theme and make it connect more. Can you talk a little bit about the changes you made there? Yeah, and uh, the comments that I got were actually fantastic. I really appreciated them. Um, thematically, uh, I mean, the game didn't start thematically. It started mechanically. And so uh, coming up with a, a strong theme that, that, um, that helped to reinforce what was happening in the game um, was definitely one of those hurdles. And so I had a number of ideas. The one that went out with that first round, um, it didn't quite marry up perfectly and there were some great comments on you know maybe if it was this maybe it was that which helped to really hone it in and i feel like now it it actually feels like all you know thematically what's happening matches what's happening with the gameplay um, which makes a happier gaming experience right so it's always great when the theme and mechanics can both inform each other so that they make it easier to understand easier to flow and all of that just comes together for a much more enjoyable experience yeah right absolutely uh, so before we dig too deep into things, why don't you just go over how Pangea works so the audience gets 
just, just a high-level idea. You don't have to do the full rules explanation. Yeah, you bet. Um, so Pangea, at its heart, is a it's a giant puzzle, and that uh, you know, referring to some of the comments, a lot of people thought, you know, oh, there's tiles, there's a board, this must be a tile laying game, and it's not a tile laying game at all. It actually plays very differently than at least any game that I have ever played, and most people that I play with say the same thing. They're like, this is a completely unique game experience because how what's happening is different. Um, so the entire game mechanics are based on plate tectonics and half of the game is moving, shifting, and colliding land masses together which are either contracting and creating volcanoes or erupting those volcanoes which then expands the board back out. Um, so thematically what's going on, uh, each of the players are demigods that are controlling the land um, according to their will and pleasure. At the same time there are they have followers, uh, like a little cult of followers that live on the earth, on the land, that are trying to get around and survive. And so they're trying to get from point A to point B, that the other demigods are you know, moving and shifting the land around them. And as the followers um, make their journeys across the land to mountains, they can build sacred places, which then uh, give more power and eminence to the demigods, which then will favor them with uh, continuing to help them on their journey. So it's this back and forth um, gameplay. Um, and the game continues until one of the demigods reaches the, the topmost spot and then um, you determine the winner. So Chris asked just a, a moment ago about feedback that you had received. I'm, I'm curious, as you've had it play, test, play tested in person, how has that differed or been the same as the feedback that you've received from uh, the online judges? Well, um, so far, the feedback from the online judges have, you know, they've had to comment without actually playing the game, right? It's all based on uh, what, I, what I say about the game or, you know, where, where you feel like the rules might be taking you in terms of gameplay. And so a lot of the comments have been focused on theme or just the nature of, of and a lot of them have just been questions, you know, the, the question, uh, the nature of a, a specific rule or a specific mechanic and um, some of those have uh, you know been spot on like yes that's a great idea let's implement that some have you know voiced things and um, which will just lead to you know riffing on new ideas on well okay so that's an interesting th thought so how can I how can I address that and then some comments are just you know completely off the mark but it's because you know you're not actually playing the game um, feedback that you get from game uh, playtesting uh, is it's very immediate and it's very tangible, very tactile, right? Because everybody's right there together and um, the feedback can come in real time as the games are going on. Uh, so, so it's been good having this uh, side of playtesting uh, because you're getting different feedback that you normally wouldn't get when you're sitting around a table with a group of people. Yeah, it's definitely two very different experiences, but both can be helpful in their own way. Um, yeah. Just looking over the uh, the rule book and notice that you're also the illustrator. So did you do all of the illustration for this? I did. So I'm professionally, I'm a graphic designer, uh, creative director, strategic, you know, creative. Um, so I, it's kind of my world anyway. So I did all the illustrations for it and really just for the love of the game, really. I know that it's not really necessary for prototype, but... Um, it sure enhances gameplay when things look very uh, polished, right? And most of the playtesters have always really appreciated 
oh wow, this is this feels like a real game. And so they're not lost or they don't have to separate in their mind um, what the actual experience might be like in the future, right? So it's a lot more close to home when they're playing it, so. Yeah, definitely. I love the style, like beyond it being very nice looking, I particularly love like the flat icon style that you're going with. So it, it really came across and I was, I was happy to see it doing so well because I really wanted to play it. But, um, but yeah, also in the rules, the layout, like it, come, it does come across that you're a graphic designer and you know what you're doing here, which again, not required, but especially with online contests, because people are basing it off of what they see in the video, what they see in the rules, the, the visual element matters more than if you're doing just a playtest with your friends or other designers where you can say, oh, this is going to look like this, but here's a scribbled piece of paper. If you show a scribbled piece of paper on the video, maybe the gameplay will come across, but I think high quality visuals always enhance it and people like pretty things. It's just it's a fact of life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as a graphic designer, and you talked about not really ever taking a game to the point where this one's come, at times, has that been, I guess, part of the reason that has kind of held, how would I say, has that held your design process back in wanting to make it perfect and wanting to like put a lot of, you know, your art assets and your skill into it? I'm just curious about that. Uh, not really. Um, I mean, I didn't really sit down to create a rule book until... Uh, I was told to make a rule book for this event. <laughs> um, before that, um, I would design the different elements of the game, um, but not not like after every single playtest. You know, it was just as things were necessary. Also, working through that design process, you know, of what how things might be laid out. Which, um, yes, having the content there helps people, but having the content there displayed with the right type of hierarchy and the right order and architecture, it actually helps the prototyping or the, the playtesting process um, because it feels more real. So um, yeah, I don't think it was really a, a hurdle, but um, I also have like piles and piles and piles of different <laughs> design <laughs> cards and boards and different ideas of, you know, and we try something and like, nope, didn't really work. Usually I do things pretty lo-fi the first time I would test it. Sure. Um, and then as things were working and working, then I'd start to you know actually design something for it so it felt a little more real. Well, I love hearing that because so often you you hear, you know, put off graphic design and put off art until the, the very end. But there's there's been some real notable exceptions that I, I've been noticing as I have listened to some interviews. One of them, Ryan Lockett, is one who you often hear about. And he'll sometimes even start with the, the image itself. Uh, I was listening to an interview with, with him. It was actually up at a, at a conference and Jeff Engelstein was asking him a question and seemed puzzled by the fact that that was Ryan's uh, approach to, to things because that's not the typical approach. But it, it seems like there can be multiple paths that take people uh, to that end that, that we don't necessarily need to leave art and graphic design uh, for the finished product. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I'm a very visual person. I used, I mean, as a designer, I work visually, so things make the most sense to me when I have it in front of me, when I'm seeing it, or when I'm building it in, you know, in reality. So um, it, it's definitely part of at least my process. And I kind of design the same way. While I'm not a trained graphic designer, which that would really be helpful, I I'll kind of skimp on art, and art can just be placeholder. But as far as like graphic design elements and icons, I try to get those, if not as high quality looking, like just get like size and placement 
early, usually before I even do a first play test because I really, I really focus on the elegance and efficiency of the system of my games. So I really want that to be clear from the beginning. So I almost never do any handwritten cards or anything because I, I can't stand looking at them myself. I'll sometimes do like four revisions on my computer before I even play test anything because I just mainly I have more time on my computer than to play test so it's easier but I just think that way yeah I have a tough time with handwritten cards as well I, I totally agree with that we're coming close to our time so just wanted to get your thoughts on the contest in general is this the first contest you've entered or have you done other game design contests like this this is the first and it's been a great experience I, I've really appreciated it and it's really gone well I really appreciate all the time that people have put into it too um, reading some of those comments you know from the reviewers and some people write just a lot of content it's just really amazing to me how much time people put into it so i mean it's much appreciated and it's pretty amazing yeah all the judges put in some of them put in way more time than i do i mean i do a lot of the organizing but i don't actually have time to judge as many as some of them do and i know there's a in round one especially there's a couple people that judge every game and it's pretty impressive actually um eric francis who was the winner of last year's contest he he judged everything in round one and all but one in round two because you're not allowed to judge the game you coached and he coached you and he is local to me so he'll be around for round three judging. So I always joke with him that he's the first person that's going to do everything in the contest, winning it and judging every single round. <laughs> that's awesome. It was great working with him too. Um, he had some really great insights, some good, some good feedback. Yeah, I, I thought that was a great addition. Could you go in... A little bit with how your process with Eric went because I wasn't really involved in any of the coaching so I'm, this is the first opportunity I'm getting besides the feedback from to really hear like how that process worked out for people and I know a lot of different people it worked out very differently like some just did some emails some had meetings some I'm not sure if anyone was actually able to do in-person meetings that didn't work out but so just if you want to share about your the process for that yeah and I mean, as as we're doing it, having in-person meetings, I, I really wish that that would have been possible, right? If there wasn't, you know, hundreds of, hundreds of miles between the two of us. But um, I thought, and for us, it was probably a little bit different too, because the day that you announced uh, round two, the finals for round two, I left on a two and a half week vacation. So I was out in the forest, so I was gone. Um, by the time I got back, I was like, oh man, I've got only a few weeks to get all this done. Um, so I only we only had one call together, uh, a few email exchanges and, and one call. But um, I put together the full rule book, um, and then I don't think I had even started on the script by the time we we talked. I had written up uh, probably three or four versions of the script for the how to play video by that time, right? And so that's when uh, that's when the touch base that we had. And he had, I think he's a writer, editor, or something like that by trade. So he had some really great comments on the rule book and some great ideas on how to word things. And um, so that was very helpful. And then that, the you know, the how to play video was a very short time frame. I just had to make it and send it. So all, all we really got was, here it is, what do you think? And here's an email back and had to, had to submit it. So that's kind of how it went, but uh, still very helpful. No, glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, it's been a very positive response to the coaching so far. So definitely got to continue that for next year. Try to improve it a little, give better better time frame for things. And time is always the issue. I know with this year's contest, because last year's, I started the whole contest on a whim. So it was very rushed to get everything done in the uh, 
up to the last round judging, we did the final judging meetup on December 29th so that I could announce the winner by December 30th because I wanted it to happen in the year. Um, so this year I went the other way and knew I was doing a contest. So I started way early and had months of waiting. And that's been one of the common comments from the feedback forums that people are like, it was too long between rounds, which, I mean, takes time to judge things. Although most of the judging happens at the like last three days anyway. So you could probably condense judging down to a week and it would be the same. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so we are just about out of time. So Brent, if you want to give any contact info for anyone that wants to follow along, keep up with the game. Obviously we're going to be playing it for the finals. So we'll be tweeting pictures and have some follow-up and probably talk about things online, if not on the podcast. But if anyone wants to follow follow you or follow the game, is there anywhere they can do that? Uh, not really. I'm kind of a uh, digital recluse. <laughs> so I don't really have um, any uh, digital handles or anything like that to follow me on. I probably ought to set something up, but I just have not done that yet. Well, they can go to the Game Designers of Utah I never remember the name of it. Guild? The Board Game Design Guild? Correct. Of Utah? Yep. I got it right the last time I tried. <laughs> you nailed it. But yeah, they can go there and see you in person. <laughs> yeah, so Dustin, anything else you want to add before we close this one up? Um, just real quick, uh, we've got our Protocon uh, event coming up uh, for anybody who, who's in Utah or, or is willing to travel out here. And you can find more information at protoconutah.com if you are interested in that convention. And I'm planning on being there. So see another we'll, place you can see. We'll see, see you there, Dustin. All right, perfect. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that will do it for this interview. Brent, thank you for coming on. Dustin, thanks for joining us. And good luck with round three. Right on. Thanks for setting all this up. Yep. Talk to you later. All right, later. I'm here with Pablo from World Shapers, who is one of the designers for Curators, which is a finalist in the 2019 Board Game Workshop Design Contest. Pablo, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. So you designed Curators with a group. So you want to go over who else is in your group that couldn't make it to the interview, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, all right. So uh, World Shapers uh, is a company that uh, publishes uh, games and uh, it's me and my wife Tuve who started it, uh, and uh, for this game curators we've also brought in a designer uh, who's called Jacob, uh, Jacob Westerlund, and uh, I actually met Jacob uh, via another designer uh, who's called Marcus and who works at a company called Uptime Games. Uh, so we saw Jacob's game and uh, we talked to him a little bit about it and we tried to make some changes and then. Uh, we started working together, so it was kind of a loose group, uh, but uh, we started about a year ago and now we're really uh, a tight group uh, working together to publish the game. So the initial design was his idea and then you both took it on and developed more, so that's how you got to where it is today? Yeah, so our role has been a little bit more as developers, but uh, uh, we have actually brought quite a lot of things into the game, so we saw some interesting mechanics in the base game uh, and then we uh, made some changes and tried those mechanics with our uh, ideas and we presented them back to Jacob uh, and we asked uh, if this would be something he was interested to go forward with uh, together with us and uh, 
he really liked it so uh, after that we had like a really intense session where we iterated over the game several times together uh, and since then we have tried it with uh, a lot of people uh, so I guess uh, we're working together with it as a team now and uh, it has been really really fun to develop it I know especially when you start working in groups even if you start with separate roles Everything is so collaborative that it kind of melds together anyway. And are you a developer? Are you a designer? Are you a publicist? You're all you're all helping, so you're all doing everything to some degree. So uh, before we get too deep into curator specifically, what what got you started in game design? You said you had another published game before this. So where did this journey begin for you? Yeah, well, uh, it began quite a long time ago. Uh, I've had a board game interest for uh, more than a decade, and uh, uh, when I met Tuve, I realized she really liked games as well. So uh, we started buying a lot of uh, board games and pretty soon we had like 50 games or something like that. Uh, and we invited a lot of our friends uh, to come to our place and play board games. So like once a month or even more frequently, we had a board game night. And uh, during those sessions, we noticed that some games took longer time or had some issues with the group and then we decided like okay so let's start doing some house rules uh, and uh, then we took that a little a step further and uh, we started kind of changing a lot of rules in the games and uh, some people thought like oh this is way more fun why, why didn't we always play it like this uh, and after that we started talking about making our own game uh, and so, well, we did. We made a game called Sumaka, uh, which we released in 2017. Um, and, uh, well, since then we got to know so much more about board game design and what board games can be. And uh, now we're looking to uh, do something really special with curators and take it uh, one step further. So. Let's move into Curious. So you already talked about the beginning, how you found the design and stuff. So when you found it, was it still the same theme or was that something that had changed along the way? Well, uh, I think it did have a museum theme when we found it, actually. Uh, but uh, there was... Uh, uh, and there was also the concept of like the rooms that yeah, we'll perhaps you'll talk about later. But... Uh, uh, there was no really pattern matching concept or uh, uh, or mechanic, uh, so that's something that I and Tuve brought into the game. Uh, but the theme was uh, pretty much there, uh, and we just tried to make it deeper with the mechanics that we brought in. Why don't we go over just very light overview for the audience who probably hasn't seen the, uh, the How to Play video yet, but just uh, background on how the game plays and what it's about. Yeah, so in Curators, you're building your museum and trying to make it expand by uh, adding new wings uh, and you're also trying to collect objects to display in the museum uh, so um, you're actually playing uh, as the cur main curator and you have a team uh, of people that you control that are represented by ships in the game uh, and so you uh, try to uh, allocate these uh, uh, employees to different projects to expand the museum uh, and the goal is to get as many visitors as possible uh, so when the game ends the person who has the most visitors or visitor points uh, will be the winner uh, I was just watching the how to play video again and uh, so the spiral system you have for buying the wings I, I really like that design because 
what you have is there's no limit to how far into the spiral you can purchase. It's just going to cost you more money. I really like rules like that where you don't have a specific rule that says a player can't do something. You just say, you can do whatever you want, but you're going to ruin your entire game if you go too far. And I like, I like games that have more of a natural limit than a forced limit like that. Yeah, and we started out with a limit that uh, said that you could uh, uh, grab like the four first pieces, but then there was always someone who wanted to grab the fifth piece, and uh, there was also the problem of describing this rule in text, which was uh, uh, would would create like a really long uh, stretch of text. So we decided to like, why don't we just remove that? It doesn't really add anything anyway because no one wants. Uh, usually no one will want to buy something that far into the spiral. Um, so it's more like a natural uh, idea of how much do I really need that uh, special uh, extension to my museum? Uh, do I need that one or can I just wait a little bit longer? Yeah, the, uh, well, what you mentioned about the rules text is another thing that I, I always bring out myself when I'm writing rules. And you're like, okay, I'm going on to sentence four to describe this mechanic. I'm like, I, I don't know if it's that important. Especially a simple thing like you can't you can't get more than four pieces. Like, well, just don't. Yeah, and it it created. Uh, I don't remember exactly where, but uh, usually I want to uh, describe the entire rule set like in one place, and this actually created like a, a small spread into other sections as well. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to remove it because I had to like always constantly remind that like you can just buy the four first. Uh, uh, and it also created some problems like at the end of the game as well. Uh, so so usually we would try to like kind of keep uh, our games as simple as possible. And if there's something, uh, some rule that feels a little bit forced like that, uh, we want to remove it uh, from the game. So, so we start out like, uh, uh, like you said, with a little bit clunky rule and then we removed it to get a more natural thing. And I think the spiral works really well. So uh, we had tried another market as well uh, before that, which was uh, uh, more strict where you just bought the rooms you wanted, but that uh, made the game uh, less fun actually. So it, it, the spiral really solved a lot of problems for us. Yeah, having that, that bit of restriction, but the ability to push forward if you want and can afford it gives you a nice tension, whereas doing whatever you want usually removes fun when you think it would be more fun because you can do whatever, but when you lose the tension, you lose the fun. Yeah, it's a little bit of a tension moment, like when you know that uh, the next round I have to grab that uh, 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 tile, or otherwise uh, I have to wait for like at least four or five more tiles or pay a lot of money. Uh, and there's two players before you that uh, perhaps could take it. Will they take that or will they not? So that sort of tension is there with the spiral and uh, it requires some planning. Like usually the first game you don't understand that this is really important. But uh, when you get deeper into the game you will see that uh, the layout of the spiral can actually be very important for the game. For instance, you can imagine like you would need a red extension to your museum and uh, uh, the only available ones are blue and black. Uh, then you will have to play differently than uh, than if you had like red uh, extensions readily av available to you. So we're talking about your rules and I don't read all of the feedback that we get from the contest because it's a lot. It's a very large amount of feedback. but I know I do read a bunch of it as it comes in, 
And I noticed a lot of people were saying your rules were very well laid out and very clear. And looking at your rules myself, they, they are like very well done. You have like a very near final professional layout. So I just wanted you to talk a bit about what was the process for creating your actual rules book. And um, yeah, do you have background in graphic design or is this just something you worked on? Well, so uh, we started out uh, using Google Docs. And what I usually do is I write down the rules uh, from the start myself, and then uh, I let uh, Tove and uh, uh, my other close friends have a look, and they edit it. So usually I let them comment, and then uh, we uh, fix things that are problems together. Uh, and then I go out to like a broader group, so uh, I try to contact people on Reddit that uh, like to read rules uh, and also I have like a, uh, some contacts like maybe 25 to 30 people who really are interested in uh, seeing rules in an early stage uh, and then I ask them for help uh, and usually they will contribute with some comments and we will try to fix them. So what was special for this one was we had a girl named uh, Hanna uh, who was interested in doing her thesis project uh, at our company. She really loves board games and she actually has started uh, a small company called We Are Knit uh, and they uh, they do uh, rule books. So uh, the first rule book she did was ours. So sh she did it as her thesis project and uh, she really put a lot of effort into taking the rules we had and putting them into a, a good graphical display. So. She's worked like for for a lot of time uh, with this uh, to make it uh, as good as it is. So most of the kudos is to her. So. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah. it definitely shows. It obviously came through on the feedback, which I'm sure you read more of your feedback than I did. But the rules were definitely right up there is one of the top selling points. Yeah, we we were really happy about the feedback on the rules as well. So uh, the rules actually were finished pretty much at the same time that we were going to send them in. So we were like, okay, we should really send these in because uh, they look really good. And uh, uh, we were so glad that we moved on because we knew that maybe we will move on because uh, the rules are very clear. Uh, so in the next stage, we will have a little bit of an advantage there. So we were we were really happy when we knew that we moved on to the second stage. Uh, we never thought that we would make it all the way, but uh, at least uh, we hoped that we would get uh, uh, high up somewhere uh, and learn a lot. And when the feedback came back, we were really happy about uh, what people said about the rulebook. So going on the line of presentation, I just want to mention a little bit about how you shipped your game, because you're shipping it from Sweden, so it's definitely a, a bigger shipping expense. But you went through the trouble of taking the game, packing it in... Was it? Uh, yeah, like a wooden box or crate or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it. It looks amazing. What was the What was the thought with that? Just going for theme, or? Yeah, we were we we actually do a lot of that. Uh, we we're very used to sending things, uh, especially from the last campaign. Uh, I, we sent like all I think a thousand games all manually. So. We like to put some extra love into what we do, and uh, I think it was the perfect uh, time to do some something fun. We also used the the crate and uh, the display in our fo footage for uh, for the page uh, of all the the games, so we got to reuse it there. And yeah, yeah, we we like to put a, a lot of love into what we do. So 
that's why we wanted to give you something that was exciting as well. Yeah, I mean, it was great. When I when I got the box, I was like, awesome, it showed up. And then and because it was the first one to arrive, I'm like, I should take some pictures of opening it up. And I'm really glad I did from before I cut the paper. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the presentation was just great. And uh, like the game looks very good regardless of the, the packaging too. So I'm really looking forward to getting it played in the finals, which when you hear this, I might have actually gotten it played. But we'll, we'll see. Right now we're still scheduling things. Um, cool. So that's about all the time. Just wanted to see if you had anything else to say about the contest itself because uh, this is only the second year for the contest and I'm always trying to improve it and grow and I have some ideas for next year. But specifically, since you're an international entrant, and I know that adds some additional costs and problems to the process, is there anything you really liked about the contest? Anything that you could think about that I could improve, especially from an international view? Yeah, so one thing, uh, uh, I, I already said it before we started recording, but uh, we re we're really happy that we entered the contest uh, because, uh, first of all, it's a, a great way to uh, get to know new people, uh, especially uh, as a foreign uh, developer or publisher, it's great to have like a big contact net uh, with a lot of people. Uh, so that's uh, it, it really opened a lot of doors for us and we've got some really great feedback uh, and we we mostly entered uh, to uh, to get the feedback actually uh, it's been great that we've moved on uh, and we've learned so much more from moving on in each stage so i really recommend people that didn't move on to perhaps take a look at what you had to do if you moved on as well it's been a great learning process for me personally, I think you've handled everything very well with the with the international in the international aspect. I mean, we managed to schedule this in a humane time, and well, the shipping was uh, was a bit expensive, but I guess it's uh, it's on our uh, our marketing budget or something like that now that we moved on so far. So it's okay, uh, but yeah, I think you've done an amazing job with the, the whole competition. Well, thank you very much. Um, so the other thing, because you're a finalist, you took part in the coaching, which was new this year. How'd you feel about the coaching process? Did that work out? Because I remember you got you got paired up with Matt Shoemaker. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, so we talked to him, and uh, uh, he gave us uh, some feedback that we have listened to. Uh, but he also felt like uh, with the rule book, for instance. Uh, he felt like we already had put so much time into it, so it was hard to give us a lot of good feedback on the rule book, for instance. He gave us some feedback on the videos uh, as well, I think, uh, and that was useful. So I think we will probably uh, be doing some changes to that, but uh, we haven't uh, done so many changes to the game. I think one thing that uh, we may actually implement that he suggested was... Uh, to rename some, uh, yeah, to rename some of the job titles in the game. Uh, as he has been working in uh, several museums, he uh, had suggestions on better names for for the job titles, and I think we will uh, take a look at that. Uh, and he also, I think, he promised that he would uh, check with some museums if we could perhaps uh, have some of their objects in the game as well. So that's, he was a great contact uh, to get to know, and uh, uh, we had yeah we had some use of the uh, the coaching pro uh, process actually. 
And when he told me he had the background in museums and he wanted to work on your game, I was like, well, that's just a fit too good to pass up. So yeah, you don't, you you don't know, always but... get that lucky, but when it does, you gotta you gotta work with it. Yeah, so we we actually had I think most of the uh, good things he said uh, that we had really good use of was about the museum part uh, of the game uh, and of the gameplay. I think he wanted to leave it a bit more to us because he felt that we already had it under very good control. So he mostly commented on uh, the museum specific things in the game. Well, we've gone a bit longer than I planned, but yeah, that's sorry. great. More content is good. So let's just finish this up. Any contact info for you or World Shapers and anywhere people can follow the game as it continues. Obviously, if they keep listening, they'll find out how it does in the contest. But uh, beyond that, I assume you're going to want to publish this because it's already looking very done. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we're actually, it's not completely done. We're working with an artist to lift uh, the tiles and everything uh, one step further as well. Uh, and once that process is done, it's been taking a lot of time. We had some unfortunate event with artists. Uh, but uh, uh, once that's done, we're going to publish it on Kickstarter. Uh, and uh, hopefully people will spot it and want to back it. Uh, and then we will probably try to distribute it to as many places as possible. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and if you want more information about the game, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, so our Facebook handle is World Shapers BG, and uh, I think Twitter is the same, World Shapers Board Games. That'll do it for this part of the show, and good luck in the finals. Thank you very much, Chris. And I hope you have a great day. I'm here with Jeffrey Mascott and Adam Desonier of Triple Decker Games. And they are the designers, or two of the designers, of Tankard of Toxins, which is one of the finalists in the contest. Jeffrey and Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, hello. Thank you. So just so the audience is aware, this is our second attempt at recording this. So if anything seems weird, blame it on that. And <laughs> in our last one, Dan was there. So maybe I'll be able to cut in some of his audio and we'll, we'll see if that works out. If not, sorry we missed you, Dan. So moving on to... You guys, what got you started with game design, and then what brought you together as game designers, too? Well, uh, Adam and Dan were friends for a while, and Dan and I were friends for a while, so Dan kind of introduced all three of us together. And then Dan and Adam went to school for uh, video game design, specifically. Uh, but I've always been really big into tabletop gaming, and so uh, they were working on video game projects, and I convinced them to work on a board game project and then they asked me to be part of it with them and uh yeah that's pretty much how it all happened so initially you didn't plan on being part of the project you just wanted them to do it i just wanted to play a board game and i thought it was cool that my friends were making games <laughs> but um then they needed some extra help and i decided to join in and work with them on it full time yeah we just kind of tried it, it was just like uh just start out just like uh trying out a few projects and uh, initially, like you said, we were working on uh, digital games, but we weren't really into tabletop as much until uh, Jeff introduced us to most of it. And we started really enjoying the things we were playing, so we wanted to give it a shot. And it turned out to be really enjoyable. So from that initial start, where'd you go then? Because you have triple-decker games and you have one game out already. Uh, not 
well, in the process. Just uh, <laughs> finished. But, yeah, uh, our first game was Rat Race. That was more of like a mid-sized deck management game. Uh, so with this one that for Tanker to Toxins, we wanted to make something that was kind of the complete opposite of it. So we wanted to make something that was really easy to pick up and you can play a couple rounds of it in like a short span of time. So what was the initial reason you designed Tanker to Toxins and entered into the contest? Well, um, last, uh, the last game we made Rat Race was kind of, it was, it was, it's a fun game. We enjoy playing it, but it's a, a medium weight strategy game. And, um, we tried having some of my sister's friends play it, and they enjoyed it, but they were wanting something a little more party aspect, and that got us thinking about party game ideas. And um, so we decided that we wanted to make a game to see how many people we could fit around the table and see how short we could get the rule doc for that. Rat Race has a decent-sized rule doc, and Tanker Tox is just a piece of paper front and back. And uh, so with those two restraints on us, we ended up making Tanker of Toxins. And we had a lot of fun playtesting it, and we decided to enter it into the contest to see what everyone else would think of it as well. Yeah, it's interesting, because we don't get a lot of party games in the contest. They tend to skew towards midweight strategy games, which are very popular for the hobby market. So I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised that it got that far, or this far. I mean, it's not done yet. But, um, but also, in a way, not surprised, because with such tight restrictions on the video length for the contest. Shorter games have the benefit of you can describe the entire game in the two-minute video, whereas the medium weight games, a lot of the struggle is cutting it down to those interesting parts. So I think in the future, if more party games enter, I think a lot of them could get to the end. So we'll see where that goes. They're a lot of fun to make, too, so I'd encourage more people to try making them. They're, we have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it definitely thrives in that kind of environment. It's also easier for the judges to play at the end because it's less rules to read. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a nice palate cleanser. So why don't we go over how you play Tankard of Toxins for the audience who possibly has not seen your videos yet. Sure. Um, so in Tankard of Toxins, it's a party game for up to 10 players. Um, and in it, you are playing as royal taste testers to the king. And um, the goal of the game is to poison the cup to poison all the other taste testers while main, making sure the king stays alive. Uh, the king isn't played by a player. The king is a separate entity in the game. But if the king drinks poison during the game, everybody loses. So obviously that's bad. But um, So you can accuse other people of poisoning the cup, or you could just try to poison your friends outright until you are the last uh, taste tester for the king. And since this is a party game, you generally want to test with larger groups of people. What was the playtesting experience like? I know you said you went to uh, CT Fig and got big groups there, but is it difficult to find a group? And how well does it work with different group sizes? I know some party games, if you go below six, even if it works technically, you kind of lose the feeling of the game. So is it one that can really span the play range, or is it more... You want big groups. Well, I mean, we had we had fun playtesting it, the three of us, which is why we decided to carry it further anyways. Um, but it was difficult finding a group of 10 people to playtest. Um, always seemed like something was getting in the way, like work or some other sort of life event that was happening. Uh, so we decided CT Fig would be the event that we 100% went to to test our game. And 
uh, took a little bit of time to get going. We tested groups that were uh, tested a lot of groups that were like six to seven people, and then we finally managed to get a group of ten people. And so we tested it across the spectrum and seemed to go off pretty well. Yeah, uh, it. They play very differently, like a group of three to four obviously plays much differently than a not group of nine to ten, but it's still just as enjoyable. One of the um, one of the things that we tried to do last year with the final round testing was get games played at different player counts to see, is it different at four or three? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how many different player counts we'll be able to get with this. The benefit is it's such a short game, 15 to 20 minutes, so we should be able to get in possibly more plays than the other games, but... Hopefully, uh, hopefully get enough judges together for the big group because that's what I really want to test it at and see how that giant experience works. Yeah, hopefully. I'm looking forward to any feedback that might come of that too because <laughs> we're still wor- we're still working on the game ourselves and everything. So any feedback from it would be great. <laughs> it's definitely an easy game uh, to do a couple rounds with. Anytime we tested it with a group, it was never just for like one or two games. They always sat down for a couple of rounds at minimum. So speaking of feedback, how has the contest been so far? Like I said, this is a less common type of game that the contest gets, so I'm curious, how how is the judges' feedback? Obviously, they liked it enough that it's gone through to the finals, so I'm assuming most of it was positive. I'm just curious, did they have useful feedback to give you of changes to make, or is it more, this seems cool, we want to see more of it? It was a little bit of both. Um, there was there was some uh, criticisms or points of comment, I should say, that... Uh were brought to our attention that we have been discussed and uh, some of the some of the rules had to be clarified and we wouldn't have realized that if not for the feedback from the judges because uh, it's easy when you're in the game that you're making to forget that sometimes rules aren't as clear as you think they are because you know how they should work but um, no, a lot of positive feedback um, a lot of constructive criticism so certainly gave us a lot to think about as we were working on our game. Um, a lot of feedback on the videos and like presentation of it as well, which was super helpful for us. Because um, that's an area that we've been really trying to improve is how we promote our games and promote ourselves kind of thing. And so the feedback on the videos was super helpful. Um, the coaching session was also super helpful as well. Uh, Chris was a very nice guy, very uh, friendly. And we had a meeting with him before CT Fig and after CT Fig. So we were able to discuss everything from playtesting strategies to um, rule variations and video presentations and things like that. So overall feedback from this contest has been fantastic. I should mention that's not me, that's Chris Lawrence, I believe, that was your coach, right? Yes. So thinking about it, like round two, since you have to submit your rules, it's very similar to a blind playtest because you can't be there, though you have the how to play video to a degree, but you can't correct people when they misunderstand things so it is getting that test of your rule book to does this make sense mm-hmm. although you don't have the actual playing aspect so you can't watch them fail at the game and realize they don't get it but uh, hopefully the feedback gives you some idea of that yeah definitely the biggest piece we got was uh about the king because when most people hear like oh you're trying you're all sitting at the table and you're trying to protect the king they assume that the king is played by a player but he's just kind of there just as an entity and uh basically whoever is next to that play spot would play for him so we had to make sure that was extremely clear yeah i find in a lot of my rules writing it's there's a lot of assumptions that players make and you don't realize it when you're writing rules because like you said earlier everything's so clear in your own head like obviously that means this but it's not just that 
the wording is clear because you can go through and make sure like every step of the wording is absolutely correct and everything is there but you can never factor in all of the assumptions a player is going to make and I always go back to uh, the game Red 7 which is a pretty simple game especially the basic version but one thing that is unique about the game or at least was unique when I first played it is you in the basic version you don't ever draw cards so you deal cards to players you have remaining cards left over that form a deck, but they're never used. And because I had never had a game like that at that point, or since actually, I mean, usually you draw cards in almost everything, but um, you don't draw cards. And I was sitting there looking through the rules for the part where we draw cards. I'm like, how do we draw cards? When do we draw cards? And you just don't. And they never said you don't draw cards. They just didn't say you do. So it is implied that you don't draw cards. And that was just such a point of confusion because of my assumption of drawing cards instead of just reading the rules as written and not implying anything else, which is really difficult. So you, you learn about these different bits that people just assume something's going to happen. Like, oh, there's a king. That must be a person. That would drive me nuts, draw, not drawing cards. That's how I play magic, is just get all the cards in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm. Exactly. I mean, even games, like a lot of them switched over to draw at the end of your turn, because then you have more time to plan and it makes sense. But so many of the older games are draw at the beginning of your turn, so... You really have to point that out, and some players revert to drawing at the beginning because they're used to it. Yeah, we found it was really important to really, like, dive into basically any, like, established games beforehand. Just like you said, to get an idea of what kind of already rules are, have been established. And uh, you can kind of... Uh, that kind of helps out with writing rules yourself as well. Yeah, definitely. The more you read, the more you learn. And learn from your own mistakes. If something was confusing to you, it's probably going to be confusing to someone else. Yeah, gives you something to compare to. So we are almost up on time for this, but do you have anything else about the design process or the contest process that you went through that was helpful or difficult? Um, the Probably the one of the harder parts of the design process, at least for this game, was getting the tankers right. We wanted We needed to make sure that something had a uh, really solid presence and really just stood out on the table because that was another uh, criteria that we wanted to give ourselves. We wanted to make sure whatever the game we designed after Rat Race had this really big presence and was like looked interesting on the table rather than just a deck of cards, you know? And so uh, getting a tanker designed, that was all Adam, but it seemed like it was quite the, quite the task to get something looking really good that we could 3d print and play with that still managed to have its function yeah it's definitely a big part of the game especially when you're working with such a simple game to have that draw and shelf presence too in addition to table presence like having that tankard really really steps it up a level and oh here's a card game yeah 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 eventually we want the uh the tankard to also serve as kind of the boxer to game where the idea is you're just able to the slot the cards in through the top and maybe have like some sort of lid to keep it all contained. Well, I look forward to you figuring that out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about the end of our time since I've got another uh, interview scheduled in a couple minutes. So why don't we end this with uh, contact info where people can go if they want to follow along and see how Rat Race is doing, see how Tanker Talk is doing, and just follow Triple Decker Games and you guys. Sure. We're on uh, Twitter as... T Decker Games, and we are on Facebook as Triple Decker Games. So if you search for us, either any of us there, you'll be able to find it. Um, on Facebook, there's also an email um, 
that you can um, that we'll be sending emails from. So if you want, if you're interested in an email list, you can find the email there as well. Adam, anything to add? Um, well, currently we're also uh, alongside this, we're also working on an expansion to Rat Race as well. So if you find yourself interested in that, be sure to follow the progress of that as well. Well, thank you both for coming on a second time and dealing with all those technical issues last time. So hopefully this all comes together perfectly and it's seamless and I won't even have this part in and no one will know. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again and good luck in the final round. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. I'm here with Alicia Wilkerson, illustrator and cat mom, and Ari David, writer of Offcut Games, designers of Expect Delays, one of the finalists in the contest. Alicia and Ari, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Hey, how's it going? And we said we would mention Patrick, so Patrick couldn't be with us today, but he is also part of this group and worked on the game, I'm sure. Part of this group is maybe an <laughs> understatement. He, uh, he, he's the uh, lead designer. He does the most of the work and we help make yeah. it uh look good and, and sound correct yeah pat dreams it up and we make it come to life awesome. yeah basically so why don't we start from the beginning and what got you all into game design and then what brought you together as a group to form offcut games uh alicia do you want to take this first um no i think you're i think you're better at telling the beginning of the story okay got it I came um, in at the end. <laughs> so for me personally uh i'm just a lifelong gamer i I've, my dad was a nerd my mom was a nerd they they taught me dungeons and dragons like it's just been a part of my life uh pat and i uh through the weirdness of new york wound up as roommates um and he and another one of our roommates uh started making a game and uh, I helped play test it, and I gave them some, you know, ideas for card names and stuff. Um, and they wound up getting picked uh, by the Indie Mega Booth for their Indie Tabletop section at PAX West 2016. And they were like, oh, God, we have to fly across the country because we're New York-based. And uh, I, I joined up with them and went with them, and I've kind of been a part of the company and, and wormed my way into the role as like writer and copy <laughs> editor um at the company that's me and then alicia joined us a little bit later and she can take it from there yeah um i am just an all-around nerd i'm not sure if my love of games started when i hated monopoly or if i um just somehow got thrown into the world but i am best friends with ari's girlfriend and when they were living together I would come over and play games and um, because I'm an illustrator somehow Patrick decided that it was a good idea for me to start illustrating with them so that's how I got thrown into the mix. You're, this is uh, your third game with us now. Yes. Yes. So she's like it's the, basically it's become the three of us. We've become like <laughs> a, a three person operation and that's about all we can afford to have. <laughs> it's interesting because this year, three of the finalists are three-person teams, whether it's like illustrator and designers or one is two are the publisher and one's the main designer, but they came together to be designers. So it's different groups. But last year, it was four solo designs and then one group of three. And interestingly, it's always either solo or groups of three. No group of two has made it to the finals yet, so... That's interesting. I, I also feel like it would be harder to have a group of two because you 
can only bounce ideas off of each other. With us, if somebody is not liking an idea, there's normally two people with and one person against, but like you can you kind always of have the tiebreaker. Yeah, exactly. yeah, we do. So before we get into expect delays, why don't you just mention a couple of the, because you said this is Alicia's third game. So what other games have you guys worked on? Are any of them published or are you still? Um, one of them is out right now. Uh, our previous game, uh, Status Report, which is like a social deduction game or deconstruction of it. That's kind of our, our shtick. We take game themes and we, we deconstruct them. Or we're very tongue-in-cheek. We break them. Yeah, yeah that's... that's uh, <laughs> We'll get into that. We do that with expect delays as well. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's like Werewolf, but everyone's a werewolf. So that that's the game you can currently get. Um, we are uh, on November 10th. We're launching Kickstarter for our next game, which is a standalone expansion to our first game. Our first game was Complicated Board Game, the Card Game, um, which is a very silly game. Um, that's what we took to PAX West in 2016. Uh, it did way better than we thought it would, and uh, it was that was pretty crazy. It was like I said, it was just the three of us. It was uh, Pat first, his uh, our other roommate, and myself, and we uh, were just out there in PAX West, and uh, people were lining up to play our stupid little card game with like cartoon sheep on it. So much so that we had to run to alleviate traffic. We had to run a second demo on the floor next to our table, and uh, that yeah, it was a little intense. We did that, and then we did a uh, limited run of status report next, like a smaller version. And now we have the big one that's out today. And our Kickstarter on November 10th is for a new standalone expansion for complicated board game, the card game. Time it's called Time to Play. And... I feel like I feel like all of our games are games that shouldn't work, but end up being magnificent for some reason. Uh, we fail upwards. That's how I like to. <laughs> that yeah, that's a good way to look at yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing all right. Success is success, no matter how you get there. Yep. Right. So you say November tenth, as in tomorrow? Yes, as in yes. as in tomorrow <laughs> from the time we're recording this. I don't know when this gets released. This will be released Wednesday, so. Yeah, so it will have been out for a few days at this point. But yeah, it starts uh, 11 a.m. Eastern, November 10th. That's when we're launching. We're really excited. I appreciate excited. you making the time for this interview when I'm sure you're probably busy. Uh, I literally, this morning, I handed off the last bit of, of copy notes for the Kickstarter. So, I mean, it's Pat who's who's busy clanking away on the getting the Kickstarter ready. But yeah, I'm good. I don't know He's about not here, so I guess. <laughs> Hard at work. Yeah. Right. So why don't we go into Expect Delays, which is your game that is a finalist. What gave you the idea for it? And then we'll go into how it works and stuff. So where did sure. it come from? Um, well, we live in New York, and the train systems are quite horrible, as any person living in New York knows. Um, Pat has also lived in other places that have horrible subway systems, like Boston. Um, so I think one day he just he was just like oh i'm going to make a game about how horrible the train system is and here we are yeah we're we're all bitter the whole company we all live in brooklyn we're all bitter new yorkers and we have to take the subway every day and we see uh a lot of games that are about the joys of train riding and like i like i said our our shtick at off cut games is that we like to take 
uh, popular game, either mechanics or genres or thematic elements, and we like to flip them on their head or do like kind of satirical tongue-in-cheek stuff so there's a lot of games like ticket to ride where it's like oh cool trains are fun our games are like no trains are the worst they're they're freaking terrible um yeah the enjoyment of riding trains seems to be a much more european thing where i hear they work yeah 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 they work here in here in new york uh that not not so much not so much uh it's the New York's crazy because our, a little bit of subway history. It's not. It wasn't one subway company like it is now. It was like three different subway companies, and they all built their tracks to different specifications. And then the MTA just consolidated it all, but never like fixed anything. So the lines are. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They're all they're all set to like 1930s standards. It's uh, and so we're basically we're dealing with that and uh, mechanically. Uh, we deck building games it's popular uh we thought it was funny when dealing with crappy maintenance on a subway our game is a deck debuilder so instead of adding uh cards to your like pool you are taking away cards uh from the other person's pool there's like a shared deck and uh, you want to remove the cards that are beneficial to the other players and we um yeah that was basically where it all where it all started and and it came pretty fully formed from pat he uh it didn't take too many iterations he kind of kind of plopped a box uh in front of us and was like this is our next game again i feel like that's just what he does he has these game babies and it's just like here you go fix this yeah, that's essentially, it's very much how it works. Pat, um, he gets an idea for a mechanic, and sometimes he'll need help coming up with the theme, like our social deduction game. He and I worked out, like, the the world lore and, like, the, the thematic elements of it. But other times, like, especially with Expect Delays, Pat came to us with almost a fully fleshed out game. It changed very little, I would say um you know some of the copy and and a lot of the art alicia's coming in and 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 revamping a lot of the art but um pat had this one pretty fully formed and we all clicked with it immediately yeah yeah i mean that's that's always a great place to start makes it easier so let me go deeper into the rules and just give a a quick overview for the audience who might not have seen your how to play video yet but sure how's it how's it work you want this one alicia or am i doing the rules what'd you say um you you can go ahead I can go ahead and do the rules. All right. <laughs> um, it's a two-player game. Uh, it takes about 15 minutes to play. The uh, Like I said, the, uh, the objective of the game is uh, you want to run as many passengers successfully along your subway line. Um, you're both two different subway companies. One's going uptown, one's going downtown. And um, when you successfully you know, get, disembark people off your train you score points first player to score 10 points wins the game you make it harder for the other player uh through mechanics on your turn that allow you to remove cards from the deck uh you need cards in your hand to like run trains to like move them up to move your passengers up a point and when you uh successfully score a point and you get a passenger off you can then uh insert a tourist onto the uh, opponent's lines And the tourists, uh, they have to run the entire line, and then they get off at the very end. Um, You have the option to get off at different stops, and they're worth different point values. And um, the tourists do not award any points, and they have to run the full train line. 
and they they can clog things up pretty awfully. Um, I actually think the tourists are my favorite part. They are absolutely um, my favorite part. Uh, especially because there are only a limited amount of tourists. So there are several ways that you can play the game. Um, you can either try to just get as many tourists on your opponent's line as possible because eventually you do run out of tourists. Or you can just try to get points first. So there's a lot of people play this game differently. Yeah, it's there's interesting also to the, watch. Uh, there's also the uh, fair swipes. So that's like our Metro card equivalent, whatever. Um, you, there's a way to win the game by hoarding resources. We we were stunned. It was while we were play testing the game. One of our one of Pat and I, one of our D and D buddies, uh, he did this to us where we just we were bankrupt. We couldn't do anything. We had no money. He was just sitting on it, and he he just won, and it was it was maddening. Um, but that's absolutely a way you can play the game. Um, and uh, there's a bit of randomness involved. Basically, every time you run through the deck and you have to reshuffle it, you turn over a new service advisory, and a service advisory is like a temporary rule that's in effect. And we uh, we use that again to make fun of all the construction announcements and service change announcements all the stickers and papers that we have to see every time we go to the subway telling us why we'll never get to where we want to go um <laughs> yeah so your your story about the the resource hoarding there it reminds me that this is the only two-player only game in the finals we have one party game that goes up to 10 and then the other ones are like two to four three to four but it brings up that Two-player only games have a very interesting space they can work with where you can actually allow players to be so much meaner because you remove <laughs> that, like, I'm picking on you instead of this other player. It's like, there's only the one opponent. No, You're no, always yeah. picking on them. So you can really, right. you can do meaner things, like you said, the resource hoarding, and it doesn't feel like that's unbalancing the game because... No. You're, you're you actually to want to be mean to your opponent. It's it's actively encouraged, and it's interesting for us because this is our first uh, two-player game only. Uh, we we have games that have like two-player variants, but the game is very very weird when you play them with two players. But th this one, uh, you can actually, if you have two copies of Status Report, you can play a four-player variant of the game, Expected. which adds two more lines, and basically you're on teams. And um, it's a whole that that's a whole nother ball of wax, uh, but that's in the that's in the rule book for it. Um, but yeah, we've really enjoyed seeing how a, a two player game handles, and people seem excited by the notion of a two player game because it doesn't you seem to come up many. quite as often. Yeah. yeah. So we've liked the response so far. Awesome. So speaking of response, you said you play this with your D and D group and. What is what has playtesting been like for this game? Have you been bringing it to a lot of different places, or is it mainly people you know? How do you? Uh, we, we, we take it everywhere. We actually just had it this past summer at Gen Con. Uh, I ran a bunch of demos there. Uh, yeah. We debuted it um, at PAX East this year. Uh, we were selling status report, but we had one table off on the side, and we were like, "Hey, this is the next game that's coming." And we had a prototype copy of Expect Delays there. And a, a lot of places that we go, they happen to be metropolitans that also have bad subway systems. So anytime someone passes the table and sees our sign, 
um, they're immediately interested because they understand the joys of traveling on a train. It's not just America, too, because, like, I was at PAX East, this guy I was explaining it to, he laughed hysterically, and he had a European accent, and I asked where he's from. He's like, oh, I'm from Sweden. It's the same there, too. Like, I, I thought that was a very fun response. So people seem to enjoy the shared misery of public transport. <laughs> Beyond playtesting, you've entered this contest. Have you entered any other contests with Expect Delays or with other things? And just what's the contest experience been like for you in general? Uh, surprising. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we are always shocked. Uh, we ha I, I, Expect Delays, I think this is the first thing that, we, that we've really applied to with this game. Um, but our, our other games, we have uh applied to the like i said the indie mega booth has so far uh repped all our games we've always been able to get a table with them they've always picked us um we've been like at dreamhack we've been at indiecade um don't know if we were contests but we were we were we were there um but expect delays this one was crazy for us because we applied to this Knowing you, knowing that our silly little train game, knowing that all our silly games are are long shots, and uh, right. the first round wasn't very kind to us, and we were like, "Oh, well, that yeah, that makes sense. Like, we're probably gonna get knocked out." And then we did way better the next round. We're like, "Whoa, yeah. whoa, okay, what's happening?" And then inexplicably, like Pat just shoots us the email and goes, "Somehow we're finalists." Yeah, like, we we kind of have have been expecting to get dropped out at any second, and kind of saying to ourselves, "Yeah, that that sounds about right," um, because, like I said, our games shouldn't work, but they do. Um, so we're always waiting for a, another shoe to drop, right? Is that the? We're, yeah, I, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're always surprised. Yeah. We're surprised that people like our games. Um, but somehow we we keep getting them out. We're really excited for expect delays. Like uh, we we couldn't be more excited that we made it as finalists. Um, right. But it was completely uh, like for us. It, it we were completely like sideswiped by it. Yeah. yeah. It, it came out of <laughs> came out of the blue for us because we we wrote it off. We were like, okay, cool. We submitted. We tried. A for effort. And then and then we're finalists, um, which is very flattering and we uh we're amongst very 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 good games so it's uh yeah it's quite the compliment we appreciate it well i think the uh two of the things that i focus on with this contest like both in general what i like to promote in the industry and how i skewed the judging is it goes towards innovation and elegance and i think you have a more unique theme and you have a very clean icon style that i think really grabs people so i think both of those probably helped you push through and grab people's attention and they're they're looking at the the cleanness of the whole design thank you you can thank the mta because we we as much as we could <laughs> without getting sued we we tried to model our stuff graphically off of the new york subway system um again enough difference that we cannot be sued legally i need to MTA, they actually they're very, they're very, they're very happy. strict yeah, yeah they're very we, strict on what you can and cannot do um, so, for instance, we could not put a letter inside of a circle, um, so Pat decided to go with all shapes. We have geometric um, shapes, yeah. Mm -hmm, geometric shapes, and he didn't want the colors to be too similar, so we went a little um, uh, like more saturated. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, it's all thanks to the MTA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but our fa I think my favorite part was Pat had the, the brilliant idea. First, we started talking about, like, and this is still we're working on it, but we want to, like, paint fanny packs on the, the tourist meeples. Yep. But we, we have settled on the fact that when we sell the game, it will it will come in a fanny pack. Yeah, that was really interesting to uh, get that package. I'm like, oh, fanny pack. That's, <laughs> that's an interesting way to package things. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a touristy uh, thing. Yeah, I was going to say, the uh, the icon system, like, it really does bring out, like, a, a metro system, which, have you ever played the uh, app Mini Metro? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah, yeah so it, it really, like, evokes that kind of feel, which, again, like, this, the way train lines are always done graphically is pretty similar across the world now yeah pretty much really, it really has that feel i think it came out really nice thank you appreciate yeah. it so the last thing we've been talking about in these interviews is the coaching process because that was new this year and it was kind of last minute which i'm sure people listening are sick because this might be the fifth time i've said it's last minute but the <laughs> um so far it's been a pretty positive response so i was just curious how did that work out for you how did you go about it especially with a group of three was that more difficult to schedule things or did someone just take the lead on it pat usually uh takes the lead when it comes to design critiques uh i went with him to like the presentation like where we first presented ourselves whatever um and uh other than that alicia alicia's busy doing art she she works yeah. <laughs> a lot she's the the art is easily some of the most time consuming part aspect of this uh it can't be understated what alicia does um i i my job's pretty fast uh <laughs> but uh yeah it 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 wasn't too hard for scheduling pat usually is very on point he's a notorious worrywart so he will show up for things like hours early and pace and like plan things so um i'm for alicia and i we were just along for the ride i'm sure pat was right. a was a wreck i'm sure he was a ball of stress um that's that's mostly what we do is we just keep him chill at conventions <laughs> um and i feel like the feedback is an interesting um aspect um just because i i think every time that we got it we kind of read the feedback and we were like oh um it would it just gave us a different insight to our game so then we would try to like play test it again and see if we got the same feedback from other people um, and kind of go off of that. Yeah. Uh, it, the feedback, professional feedback is very different from like player feedback. So a lot of the stuff was very precise um, yeah. rather than these kind of generalized comments that we tend to get from friends and family, which is all like, yeah, it was fun. I liked, I liked the cards. They look cool. Or like th that stuff will get very mechanic specific um, insights. And, uh, I mean, I appreciate it as, as the guy who doesn't handle it. I think it's very fascinating, but I know, I know Pat takes it to heart. He really, uh, he, he really, uh, pays attention to feedback. He wants to make, we all do. We want to make the games that people like. We definitely are not averse to changing systems pretty dramatically if we, if something doesn't feel like it's working. Right. We want to make games that people like, but also games that work well. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback's a tricky thing, because depending on who it's coming from, their experience and preferences, it can mean all sorts of different things. So it's right. hard to take all of that and then put it towards what's the game you want to make, not the game they necessarily want, depending on how much they fit into your target audience. 
Yeah, there's right. some. I, I, it's kind of uh, escapes clear definition what exactly makes an offcut game an offcut game, but like we all seem to be in agreement when the tone and the mechanics are correct. It just kind of all clicks together. We go, yeah, all right, this is this is our next game. Like this works. So we do take a lot of feedback in, but at the end of the day, it really does come down to the three of us sitting together in one of our apartments and just deciding, is this the like. Is this the game that we want it to be? Are we enjoying it? Right. And then if it's not, how do we address it? Right. Um, and I think that's a, a big thing with us is that we have to enjoy the game. Um, yeah. Because if we don't like it, then we can't put it out. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Pat would Pat would disagree and say, I've played these games so much I hate them. But Pat is too hard on himself. No, uh, I, I could honestly play these games forever, which they're really is fun. that a little narcissistic? No, um, I mean I've demoed I've demoed our games a bajillion times at a bajillion conventions at this point, um, and even though I lose my voice and I do get tired of explaining the rules, watching people engage with the games and have fun, it's uh, it's really cool because uh, you know yeah. we're uh, engaging with a community that I've been a part of my whole life, but I'm I'm now on the other side and I'm adding to the experience, and uh, mm -hmm. I know that's exciting for me, and I know it's I, I'm sure it's exciting for the rest of the team too definitely awesome well that about does it for our time so why don't we end it with contact info for both you and offcut games in general and where people can go especially the kickstarter you have already launched once this airs so sure wait um okay i uh you can follow me personally on twitter at the amazing ari i'm a writer you can go check out my stuff there uh you can follow us also on twitter at offcut games you can go to offcutgames.com. You can check out what we have. Um, like like you said, our Kickstarter will be out by the time this podcast uh, airs. And uh, it you just look for Complicated Board Game, the card game. Uh, or you can check out our Twitter. We'll have a bajillion links to it. And uh, that, that's how you can uh, find our games. And hopefully you'll you'll be interested in our other very silly game. Um, and you can find me at aliciaillustrates.net, not .com. That's a different person. Oh, boy. Um, I know. Or on Instagram at alicia underscore illustrates. And any info for Pat? Uh, Pat what? is not big on social media. Uh, <laughs> so I would check out the official Offcut Games Twitter because he basically, that, that he is runs, Pat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that works. Well, thank you again for coming on, and good luck in the finals. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you for having us. So, I'm here with Adam Zwayne, designer of Twisted Alchemy, and Dustin Dowdle is with us again. So, Adam and Dustin, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey there. So, Adam, we're starting off with what got you into game design? Um, so I think just as a board gamer, you know, I started the hobby maybe three, four years ago. I think I always wanted to just design a game, but honestly, I thought I just didn't have time. I thought it would be too hard. And then it kind of started when I was actually designing a wedding gift for one of my friends. Um, I, I decided to give them a re-theme of a game, um, Sushi Go Party. And Basically, instead of the cards in Sushi Go Party, it would be kind of jokes that we had within our friend group. 
And so I had a lot of fun redesigning this game. It doesn't really count as game design, but I was redesigning it. And it eventually, it just consumed all of my time. Like I would come home from work and I would just work from, you know, the moment I got home until like midnight and then go to bed, wake up, think about it all day while I was at work, come home again and work on it for hours at a time. And so I was like, okay, I think I don't have an excuse not to try to design my own game anymore. So then, yeah, I just kind of got started writing down my ideas, listening to different podcasts, reading books, and yeah, eventually just, just started. I mean, it's got to start somewhere. And I'm very impressed you can get to bed by midnight trying to do game design. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think midnight, yeah, it's probably a conservative estimate, we'll say. So what what made you design Twisted Alchemy? Was this was this your first game design after the retheme, or is this later on? What like how how'd you get from the beginning to here? Um, so I guess I would say this is my it's my third game technically I designed, but I would say second and a half because it came around the same exact time I um, started designing another game, which I actually entered in this contest. It's uh, Night Market, um, and yeah, not not one of the finalists, but it still did pretty well. Um, and yeah, so this game, I kind of wanted, I really like, um, spatial puzzles. So I was just thinking of a way where you can have a spatial puzzle that actually you use to kind of generate resources that you're going to use for the rest of the game. And so, yeah, I just kind of thought of a way, how could I create a spatial puzzle where you do something and then it gets you this resource and it kind of just snowballed from there. It's like, okay, you can match patterns and then how will you do this? And yeah, and then there's a few other mechanics I wanted to in, uh, use in a game and it, which was like deck building, uh, bag building. I was, I think I was playing um, a lot of Altiplano at the time, so I wanted to create a bag builder. And so it definitely started from a mechanics point of view and it kind of just snowballed from there. And I was like, okay, I could add this and I could add this. And then it just kind of all came together as one game. And I tried it out, I got it down, you know, uh, designed a few pieces, got it down on the table and it just all came organically from there. So before we move on, you want to give just a quick overview of the rules just so the audience has an idea of how you play the game? Uh, yeah, sure. So the game thematically is we are rival alchemists competing in the sorcerer's exam. And the way we compete is we are building a deck of cards which act as our spells. Um, we're going to be capturing demons, we're going to be building our engine, and then the game ends when we claim these end game objectives, which are actually the metrics that we are graded on in the exam. So on your turn, you're going to draw three spell cards. And then these spell cards have kind of a tetromino-like pattern on them, which you are trying to match in order to cast these spells. So it's kind of like a deck builder, but you need to actually have to work to use the cards that you're using, rather than you just draw cards and use them. Um, and in order to cast these spells, you have a player board in front of you, which has a three by three grid of tiles on it. That, and these tiles are kind of like um, tiles in the game Azul. So there's this three by three grid in each turn, you're gonna draw spells and then add one of these new tiles to the grid itself. You add it either horizontally or vertically. And when you add it, you will slide it across the row or column and then push off another tile, which will then go to your discard and you will try to form the patterns that are each on each of your spell cards. And when you do that, you'll be able to cast any of the spells for the patterns that you formed. 
Um, so there are four main type of spells in the game. There are gold spells, which you earn gold as the currency in the game, which you can spend on buying new spell cards, you know, building your deck up. Or you can actually expand this grid on your player board um, by adding a roar column to make it easier to cast those spells that you need. And then there are green um, glyph spells. So these glyphs are the tiles that you're going to be adding to this uh, player board. And this allows you to build a bag of these glyph tiles that will allow you to more easily cast your spells as well. And then there are blue scripture spells, which is another tile laying mechanic, but this you draw tiles from a stack and then you add it on a central player board. And they kind of work like dominoes as well. Um, you add it, everybody's adding to the central board and you're trying to um, attach it to like colors. And then also you're trying to match patterns which are on a, commu um, a community display of demon cards which, that function in the same way as the spell cards, but they have patterns that everyone can match. And when you do that, you can capture the demon, which earns you a one-time bonus, much like the spells, and then you keep that demon for the rest of the game, and you earn points on unique sets of demons that you've captured. And the last type of spell uh, is mana, which is another currency in the game, where you, you can accumulate this over your turns, and then you can use it to cast sorcery, which is more, uh, a little less powerful versions of each of the spell types but you can cast as many as you want on your turn, so it gives you a little bit of edge on your turn if you need, I don't know, a few more gold to get the spell that you want, or if you need um, to add another scripture tile to the central board so you can capture the demon that you want, and it really allows you to just make the most of your turn. And then as you progress, you'll be able to get more powerful spells and um, also an additional type, which is wild, which kind of increases player interaction. You can either imitate what players are doing or you can actually kind of block them and hinder their path forward by adding um, glyph tiles to their board that serve no purpose other than to block them. And then the game ends when enough players have claimed these end game objectives and these objectives are sorted based upon the spell types. So um, the first person to collect the most spells, the first person to collect the most glyphs, the first person to capture the most demons, or the first person to fully expand their tablet to a 5x5 five five grid, um, which is quite difficult to do. And once enough people have um, claimed those objectives, we finish the round, and then the game ends, and we count our points. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I'm curious, could you tell us a little bit about the, the playtesting process and feedback that you received um, through that process, as well as any feedback you had from the, the judging itself? A lot of the feedback is there is kind of a lot going on in this game. Um, so if you listen to the description, I say I have, uh, you know, tile laying, bag building, deck building, set collection. So there's a lot of different me mechanics that are going on in the game, which is, uh, you know, this, this is what I really like to do in my designs is combine a lot of different mechanics and make them kind of flow seamlessly together. So that was the tricky part about this game is getting them to be interesting enough that the game is, of course, interesting and in that it flows together, but simple enough that it's not overcomplicated and you don't have too much uh, to think about on your turn. So each of these mechanics, um, yeah, they're. I think they're very uh, straightforward for someone who has 
played a lot of games, you know, none of them are too complicated. You know, it's simple, simple deck, deck building, simple set collection, uh, but just kind of refining them down so it's all approachable and you can really, you know, do what you need to do on your turn without asking about the rules and, and stuff like that. What are you hoping to do with this game after the contest? Uh, well, I guess like uh, any game designer, you know, the end game would be to get it published. Um, I've been lucky enough to have one of my games um, I mentioned previously, also in the contest night market. It was recently picked up by a publisher. Um, so yeah, of course, I would love to get it uh, in the hands of a publisher or just, you know, get more publishers looking at it and judging it and telling me what I can do to improve it. You know, I know that this is still definitely uh, a work in progress. That's why I entered this contest. It was mostly just to get the feedback and I was lucky enough to make uh, the top five. Um, but yeah, it's just getting the feedback and eventually, you know, bringing it to publication if I, if I could do that. Yeah, I really like the, the mixture of mechanics you have going and like you're saying, the, the flow, which I haven't played it yet. So I'm, I'm hoping the flow comes together because that's, that's something I really enjoy about like more complex games when they have a lot of pieces, but the pieces fit together in a way that makes sense. So it doesn't hurt your mind to just look at the board and try and remember the rules. But I, I especially like the, the slide mechanism you have to trying to get the shapes on your board. It looks really neat. And the, the 3D printed tiles you have are really nice. It's a very nice tactile feel for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely has a really nice table presence. Um, in the few conventions that I've brought it to here, which were more just like board game meetups, um, it really grabs a lot of people's attention who are walking by because there's just a lot of cool pieces. There's, you know, people are looking at a deck of cards and then matching it to their their player boards and then looking at a central board. And so people just stop and look and we're like, okay, what is this? And they, they often think it's a fully produced game, even though it's, it's you know, just something I've made, you know, with my printer, uh, 3D printer and my regular printer at home. I was just going to say congratulations on being a finalist here and having a publishing deal with your other one. I mean, that, that's really exciting on, on both fronts. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, it all kind of happened really quickly. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm based in the Philippines, so um, I don't get the opportunity to go to that many conventions and kind of pitch to publishers. So contests are really my way of pitching my game. And yeah, it's actually worked out really well. I've got a lot of attention and yeah i did decently my other game night market got second place in cardboard edison and then it was quickly picked up by a publisher after that that's awesome i was gonna i was gonna ask since you're in the philippines what's i mean what's the board game scene in general like but also what's the game design scene there are there design meetups that you go to or is it mainly connecting with people online to get a wider wider area so yeah the board game scene here is everyone describes it as developing um, I think it's pretty stable. Um, there are a lot of people into a lot of different types of games, um, but yeah, it's kind of lacking on the convention aspect of things. Um, I definitely get envious when I look at all the conventions that are going on, especially in the summertime in the U.S. But there is definitely enough here. There is an unpub meetup that meets monthly. Um, so I get to meet with a lot of different uh, Filipino-based designers there. Um, and then they have conventions here, but they're not conventions in the U.S. sense where board game publishers are going there to promote their games. It's mostly just a promotion of the scene here where everyone or stores here bring their games to the place, to a specific place. And it's just a really big meetup of people playing games, but they encourage 
game designers to bring their games as well. Um, and a thing that really, really helps is Filipino people are just so nice and welcoming that like I've never felt uh, out of the ordinary there. You know, they just even when pitching my own game, they're like, yeah, let's let's play it. You know, they're really eager to engage with me. Um, they all speak really good English because English is, you know, uh, it's really widely spoken here. Um, so, yeah, it's it's actually been a very uh, much easier than I thought it would be. That's great. And, uh, if you listen to a couple episodes ago, me and Dustin are both working on starting convention ourselves. So if you want a convention, you just have to make one. And it's a ton of work, but it's great. Yeah, I think that's how they did it here. They just wanted a convention. And so uh, a few game groups got together and were like, okay, let's find a place, let's set a date, and let's all just meet up at the same time. Yeah, you just keep doing it every year, add 10 more people. Before you know it, you've got 30 people. So you mentioned that you enter contests as your way to get more feedback in, in, instead of pitching because you can't make it to other conventions. just want to talk about you entering contests in general and then also your experience with the Board Game Workshop contest and yeah, how that worked out for you. Um, well, Board Game Workshop, actually, I think I've entered every single one of my board game designs into your contest. Uh, last year I had a game um, from beneath in your contest. Um, then this year I had both my games. So that's all three of my games. So that was Night Market and then Twisted Alchemy in your contest. And yeah, they're just, it's a way when you're just kind of stuck in your design or you feel like you're stuck, you feel like you're at either a decent point where it's playable, but you want more eyes on it. So you just you know send it out to some people who can give you some feedback and if you know if you don't make it to the next round it's fine you know then you know the state of your game you know you need to make changes and it's also a great way to um finalize everything in your game to make it playable now you have a deadline you know now you need to write the rule book now you need to get all the you know solidify all the pieces solidify all the mechanics so it's just a really good benchmark to have to, to just progress your design to the next level. And of course, if you're able to make it into, you know, further rounds of each contest, you know, that's just more eyes and more feedback. Um, I will say this contest this year, your contest this year has been utterly fantastic. The amount of people looking at my design was incredible. The amount of judge feedback was incredible. And then the thing that made it, uh, that set it apart from other contests that I've entered was the coaching. Um, actually sitting down with a designer who has never, you know, seen your game physically, read all the rules, seen the rule videos, was just such a great thing to have because they can just bring in this kind of unbiased approach to the game. And you can just sit down and talk with the designer and be like, okay, what do you do in your games? This is what I'm doing. This is the logic behind all of these things. And that is what really elevated uh, Twisted Alchemy to the next level. Um, I actually had, uh, as per the suggestion of the coach, I inserted a semi-cooperative element into the game, which I just hadn't really thought of before, but it really created this tension in the game that because because there's this central player board where people are kind of building it together, um, it incentivized them to work together towards an existential threat that could potentially end the game. Um, so it just... It really elevated the game to the next level. That's all great to hear. I mean, I, I started this contest. Well, I started the contest to fill up an episode when I didn't have anything to do. But uh, one of my goals is building community and getting the feedback and just getting more people talking. So it's nice to hear that that is working out. I've been asking other people about the, the coaching process, which you went into a bit. 
So just curious, how how did you and your coach structure that? Like, what were the specifics that you used? So essentially, what we did was, you know, he just sent me an email like, "Hey, I'm your coach. Let's uh, set this time to meet." Um, I think we met over Skype for about an hour. And, you know, he was just like, talk me through your design process, talk me through some of the questions you had. And so I explained to him the game. I explained to him my uh, thought process between each, uh, behind each of the mechanisms. And then what, uh, where the semi-co-op idea developed from was like, I had this central scripture board that I was having difficulty of getting players to interact with it in a productive manner because it was kind of cooperative in itself um players didn't really want to interact with it that much because they're like oh i'm just gonna benefit someone else so i don't want to do it even if it benefits me so i needed to kind of insert something uh, a motivation to to get them to place tiles on this board um and so he said why don't you make it semi-co-op and i was like I had just never thought about that before. And I just like had an epiphany right there in that process. And yeah, it was just like, okay, if I make it semi-co-op, there's an existential threat. It'll force people to work together to try to get over this threat. And then also they will, uh, it's kind of serves as a secondary self-balancing thing where people can choose to work with, with players who they know aren't in the lead against the, the, if there's like a standout leader. So it worked out really well. Um, and then in terms of the coaching process, yeah, we just met once on Skype and then um, he was like, okay, let's let's try to meet again in a week. And he was like, okay, in a week, he, he sent a few like deadlines that I have. He was like, okay, try, to, try out this semi-co-op mechanism. Um, Try to type up some rules around it. Uh, send me a new draft of your rule book, and and then we'll we'll go from there. And so I had, you know, good objectives for my our next meeting. We met again, and I think we only met twice, or we might have done the same thing. And he's like, okay, after we had that conversation, he was like, make a few changes here, and then we'll meet again. And yeah, it was just through Skype and email, and it it it, it was really organized and it worked really well. We were both timely, um, and. Yeah, everything just worked out quite nicely. That's great to hear because the coaching was put together pretty last minute and I wasn't sure if it was even going to come together for this year. But uh, it seemed like everyone had a pretty good experience with it. So that's, that is great. So we are pretty much out of time. So why don't we wrap this up? Dustin, is there any other questions you want to add before we close up? No, no other questions. Just congratulations. Sounds like you, you've had an awesome ride through this whole experience. Yeah, thanks. It has been it has been great. Thank you very much. All right, so let's just end it with some contact info. If people want to follow you and where they can get info on your your game that was signed, which was Night Market was signed. Yes. Yeah, Night Market. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I don't post that much, but I promise I will post more in the future. It's uh, at Zwayne Games. So that's my last name, Zwayne Games. Um, or you can email me if you're interested. Uh, in Twisted Alchemy itself. Um, that's adam.zwain at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, I will post updates on both Twisted Alchemy and Night Market on Twitter. So if you're interested in either of those, uh, I highly suggest checking out Night Market. It's, it's changed a lot since I entered it into this contest and other contests. And I'm really, really excited about the changes and it's gonna be really, really cool. It's gonna be a really cool game. Can you say who's publishing it? Um, yeah. Uh, so it's a small publisher called Talon Strikes Studios. 
Um, it's an American publisher. Um, it is due to be on Kickstarter. We haven't set a specific date, but probably within the next year. So 2020 or maybe uh, 2021. Awesome. Well, good luck with that. And Dustin, you want to throw out contact info? Yeah, you can reach out to me on uh, Board Game Geek, uh, the, let's see, Odd, Odd Fox Games, or through my Facebook. And again, that's Odd Fox Games on Facebook. Okay, and that will do it for this section. So thank you again for coming on, Adam, and good luck with the finals. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, and thank you so much for putting on this contest. Um, it has been really a great experience. You did a fantastic job this year. So. Thank you very much. Glad to hear it. That's all for this episode. The Board Game Workshop is a member of the Indie Game Report. You can check out their reviews and interviews at theindiegamereport.com. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our inventor-level supporters. Chris Turner, Vegan Al, Brad Bachelor, Roscoe Schock, Vas Cottis, and Corey Muddeman. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theboardgameworkshop. You can follow the show on Twitter at thebgworkshop and on Facebook at theboardgameworkshop. Join the show's Discord channel to discuss episodes. You can call the show's Google Voice number at 725-222-8249 and leave a question or contributor segment for a future episode. You can get the links for these and all show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening.